John 14, verses 1 through 4. This is God's word for us this morning. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Oops, I just lost my spot there. Pardon me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Would you pray with me? Father, I believe there's comfort and hope in the text for today. I pray you'll bring it out. Let gospel and grace and the goodness of Christ shine on us this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, there are a lot of things on the internet that are funny. And I believe that perhaps the funniest thing that has ever been put on the internet is the video sketch from Mad TV of a woman going to visit a counselor who's played by Bob Newhart. If you don't love Bob Newhart, you should. She goes there to confront claustrophobia. She tells the doctor that she's terrified of being buried alive in a box. And that fear keeps her from being able to do things like drive through tunnels or ride in elevators or go into a house. She says, anything boxy, pretty much. And the doctor understands her fear and he tells her that he's going to give her two words in counseling for her to memorize. He wants her to take those two words out of the counseling office and apply them in her daily life. And he guarantees her that these two words will take care of her problem. And with great anticipation, she looks at him to find out what those two words will be. And he looks at her and he says, stop it. (laughs) Now, the video is supposed to be funny. It's silly. In fact, the whole point is to catch you off guard and make you laugh by seeing how ridiculous is the approach of some people to our problem. But honestly, the concept isn't that funny at all, is it? Have you ever had a feeling, an emotion, a pain you wish you could change? By the way, spouses don't look at your husbands when I say a pain you wish you could change. (laughs) Have you ever disliked something? Have you ever feared something? Have you ever been grieved by something that you feel powerless to put aside? And if you have, I can assure you that somebody telling you, well, just stop it, doesn't make it all better. So how do you respond when you have a feeling or a thought that seems insurmountable? How do you respond when something gets in your head, gets in your heart, and you think, man, I just can't overcome this? In 2 Corinthians 10.5, the Bible says that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
taking our thoughts captive. That's a call to defeat worldly thinking. It's a call to defeat worldly philosophy. It's a call to defeat even our emotions. Because it's our job as Christians to take our own thoughts captive, to grab hold of our emotions, to grab hold of our feelings, and to work on them until they are conformed into what God has revealed is appropriate and honoring to him and conforms us to the image of Christ. And in the passage for today, Jesus gives his disciples what really could be seen as a call to capture take captive thoughts that are not honoring to God. And he gives them a set of replacement thoughts, better thoughts, godly thoughts. Well, today I'm not going to expect that I'm going to give you a single answer, one little pill you can take and make all your troubles fade away. But I do want to share with you from the Word of God how Jesus spoke with his disciples when they were very troubled. And if we look closely together, maybe we'll find a set of ways to find hope and strength and encouragement. Maybe if you follow along here, you'll grab hold of a few ways to overcome a troubled heart. What we're going to do is we're going to find five points together in these four verses. And again, if you want to give it an overarching title, let's say there are five ways to overcome a troubled heart. Point number one, overcome a troubled heart by remembering Jesus' compassion. Overcome a troubled heart by remembering Jesus' compassion. Verse one begins, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, the setting for this story, because I didn't give you a lot of context, this isn't part of a series here, of course, It's the night of the Passover meal. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. He has told his disciples that he's going to be betrayed by one of them. Judas has left the group, going off to fetch the soldiers to arrest Jesus. And Jesus has called the disciples to love one another. And Peter and the group, man, they are really troubled. They're bothered by Jesus' words that he would go somewhere that they couldn't follow. Now, just before Jesus spoke the words of 14.1 here, he told Peter that Peter himself is going to deny Jesus before the sun even comes up tomorrow. And that thought really troubles the disciples. If Peter, the rock, right? I don't mean Dwayne Johnson. I mean, you know, just the strong, (laughs) solid guy. If Peter, Rocky, cannot... Stand until morning. How are the rest of them going to stand? And what's Jesus talking about? And where's Jesus going? And why can't they go with him? And why can't they follow? And who would dare betray Jesus? And why would anybody betray Jesus? And how could Jesus possibly think any one of them at the table would deny him before men? And as the disciples grow more and more troubled, as their hearts get heavier and heavier, Jesus speaks again. And these words of Jesus are so closely tied to that last chapter that we better not think of them as in any way removed. Jesus sees the distress on the faces of the disciples after he says he's going away. And he tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. 
Now, unlike my counselor in the opening, Jesus is not just telling the disciples to stop it. Instead, Jesus is showing the disciples something about himself. Jesus is showing his disciples a love that few of us have ever seen or have ever matched. Jesus is showing these men compassion, tremendous compassion. Remember the circumstances of Jesus? And perhaps you'll see why it is that I say he was so kind and loving, so wonderful, so compassionate right here. Verse 31 of chapter 13, John tells us that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And the Greek word there for troubled is a word that indicates he was deeply emotionally shaken. He trembled. He groaned. He was racked with grief, sorrow, anguish. That, that word for troubled is a word that's sometimes used for the sound that a horse makes when it's deeply in distress. Have you ever, ever watched a western and seen a really upset horse? I don't mean the high squeal, but I mean this big <laughs> sound. That's how troubled shaken to the core of his being, a deep guttural sound comes from the Lord Jesus. He was emotionally broken in the deepest part of his heart. But within just a few minutes, Jesus is the one saying to his disciples, guys, don't be troubled. At the moment when his disciples should have been comforting Jesus, he offers them the words of comfort they need. Have you ever tried to tell somebody about your troubles only to have them try to trump your bad day with theirs? Don't you hate that? I'm not typically a fan of telling you violence is okay, but you might want to smack somebody if they do that. Don't you just want to look at them and say, hey... I'm trying to tell you about my hurt here. Don't make it about you. At least not now. I need help. I don't need you to show me that you think you've had it bad too. Well, Jesus here is so loving. He is the hurting one. He's the one facing the betrayal of a close friend. He's the one facing the scourge of the Roman whips. He's the one facing the mockery of six false trials. He's the one facing the cross. He's the one facing the wrath of Almighty God for sins he never committed. He's the one who faced death itself. But Jesus was the one in the room who, when his disciples showed that they were troubled, reached out to comfort them. That is an amazing Savior. Do you have troubles? you have sorrows? you have pain? Remember the compassion of Jesus. He's not aloof to you. He's not telling you just suck it up and press on. He's not telling you stop it. He's not looking at you saying, hey, you think you got problems? Let me tell you about mine. That's not what Jesus is like. He's gentle. 
He's loving. He's compassionate. He cares. And he'd look you right in the eye. And he would say to you, let not your heart be troubled. Friends, see the compassion and the love in your Lord Jesus. And let that be one way that you overcome a troubled heart. Well, thankfully, Jesus doesn't just stop by telling his disciples, don't be troubled. He doesn't limit himself to just showing them his compassion. He does a lot more. And in the next verses, Jesus gives several things that he says, I want you to think about this and let that take their thoughts captive. Things they could think about in place of their anxiety. The first one comes in point number two. Overcome a troubled heart with faith in Jesus. Overcome a troubled heart with faith in Jesus. Verse 1 says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So after telling the disciples what not to think, Jesus offers his disciples something to think about instead. That's good counseling. man. That, that, is, that is right out of the book, good biblical counseling technique. It makes sense to anybody who's ever tried not to think about something. Because what happens when you try simply not to think about something? The first thing you do is think about the thing that you're thinking you're not supposed to think about. Your mind works that way. So it makes sense that Jesus would give his disciples a replacement thought. He says, take your mind somewhere other than the sorrow and the heart trouble that you're feeling right now. And the first replacement thought is right here. Jesus said, believe in God and in me also believe. And then that sentence is a theological bombshell and a tool to use in overcoming a troubled heart. On the theological side, Jesus sets himself right beside God the Father. And the reason I say that he said, believe in God and in me also believe, is that is the construction of the sentence. That's what's put side by side in the original Greek language, Jesus and the Father hand in hand. See, what's significant here is Jesus knows himself to be on equal footing with God the Father. Jesus is God. He's not secondary God. He's not sub-God, a lesser God, a mini-God, a Godling, a Godlet. He's not sort of-ish God. Jesus is God in human flesh. Jesus and the Father are one in essence. Now, they're different persons, but they're united in the Holy Trinity as the one true God. So this verse calls us to believe in Jesus as we believe in God. And in doing so, it helps you to again see that all of our worship and all of our lives should belong to Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus is the Lord God. And any statement, though, besides theology is a replacement thought to think about instead of your troubles. Jesus tells his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled, but instead believe in God and believe in Jesus the Savior. And a fair question to ask yourself when you find yourself troubled is to rethink your faith a little bit. Do I believe in God? Do I believe in Jesus? You might say those questions sound trite. You might say they sound dangerous. But think with me about it. 
When you suffer, when you hurt, you've got a couple options. Either you can decide God's not there, or you can understand that God's right there and in control. You can either choose to think that God has nothing to do with your situation, that you're on your own. Or you can choose to believe, rightly so, that God is right there with you, working all things together for your good and for His glory. Believing Jesus is God also helps you to think rightly when you suffer. (laughs) When you think about God, you're not thinking about someone who's never suffered. You're You're not thinking about a God who has never felt sorrow, especially the sorrow of betrayal. You're not talking about a God who's without compassion. Instead, you're remembering that your suffering, your pain, your hard time is all still under the good, sovereign hand of the wonderfully loving, wonderfully compassionate, wonderfully self-sacrificial Lord Jesus Christ. So when your heart is troubled, fight. Fight it. Fight it. Not by just trying to stop thinking about the bad stuff. Fight it instead by thinking about ultimate truth. Yeah, your situation hurts. But there's a God in heaven who's over all things. There's a God who can comfort you and who can care for you in a way that nobody else ever could. There's a God who has shown enough compassion to say to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled, even when his disciples should have been offering him their own encouragement. There's a God who willingly suffered the horrors of the cross in order to bring salvation to his children. Think about that God and you're going to find that he'll begin to help you to overcome a troubled heart. Third point. Overcome a troubled heart by remembering your place in heaven. By remembering your place in heaven. Verse 2 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I would go to prepare a place for you? See, the next thought Jesus brings to the minds of his worried, troubled disciples is one of really great comfort and beauty. He talks about heaven. Jesus describes heaven as his father's house. And the picture here is of a really big, beautiful building. And in that building are many dwelling places, luxury apartments, condos. Jesus is here telling his disciples, in that building, in this gorgeous place with beautiful living quarters, there's plenty of room for anyone who will ever follow me. And in case you think Jesus is just making this up, he assures you, he says, if this wasn't true, I certainly would not have told you otherwise. So if you believe Jesus is not a liar, then you know there's room in heaven for everybody who will ever come to Jesus. And when Jesus draws the minds of his disciples toward heaven, he shows us that thinking about eternity helps our pain in the here and now. So often the things that trouble us are short-lived. Isn't that true? Isn't it? Now, I know some of y'all got big stuff that lasts a long time. But isn't it true that most of the stuff that hacks you off really 
lasts a very short period of time. Very temporary. Think for a minute for something that stressed you out recently. Maybe it's an insult you received from someone. I've been insulted in the past week. Maybe it's something somebody failed to do for you that they said they would. Maybe, maybe it's a loss of money. Maybe, maybe something happened that cost you. Let me ask you something. How many of those things I just mentioned are going to matter in a month? How many are going to matter in a year? How many of those things are going to matter in 10 years? The fact is, most things you and I suffer, most things that stress us out and make our hearts get all troubled, friends, they're things that are going to fade away over time. Now again, there are some things that hang on for a long time. Sometimes there are things that hang on to the end of our lives. But generally, things don't last a lifetime. Now look at what Jesus wants you to think about. Even if your trouble is going to last a lifetime. Instead of dwelling on how unkind that supposed friend was when they said what they said, he says, think about eternity. Think about forever. Is what happened to stress you out going to matter in eternity? No. What matters is that God has a wonderful home for you. What matters is that God has made room for all who will come to him to dwell with him forever. You and I can overcome a troubled heart if we set our minds not on this short life, but on the place God makes for all of his children in glory. Y'all, there's no pain. There's no pain you feel here now that the Lord cannot and will not ultimately and perfectly heal in eternity. Point four. Overcome a troubled heart by looking forward to meeting Jesus. Overcome a troubled heart by looking forward to meeting Jesus. Verse three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus here, he points to the disciples toward heaven. He says something that if we're not careful, we miss it. And if we miss what Jesus says here in verse 3, we misunderstand what Jesus intends us to find glorious and comforting about heaven. Jesus tells his disciples that if he goes to prepare a place for them, he'll come again. He'll come back for them. That's good news. And by the way, we don't think about that enough. We really don't. Um, we don't think about it enough because some people have warped and messed us up with views of end times or made bad movies about it. But the bottom line is don't let that take you away from what your eyes should be on. This is good news, folks. Jesus does prepare a place for his followers. We're going to talk about that in a moment. The promise of Jesus is true. 
And he says, I'm going to come again and I'm going to take all of you who are my followers. Now, Jesus said, if he goes to prepare a place for them, he will come and get them and do what? Say that again. Bring them to him. Now, think about it for a second and feel the oddness here. Now, just pretend I've got construction skills. And I said to you, I'm going to, bring, I'm going to build you a house. And then I'm going to come get you. You would expect that I'm going to follow up the sentence by saying, and then I'm going to get you so that I can take you to the house. Doesn't that sound like what I would say to you? I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to come get you so you can be in the house. That's logical. It would make sense for Jesus to tell the disciples, hey, if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will bring you to that place. That fits. That's consistent. That's parallel. But Jesus doesn't say he'll come and get us and bring us to our dwelling place. Why? Why does Jesus not focus on the house? The answer is awfully simple. Jesus doesn't focus us on the house. Because Jesus doesn't want us to think, not even for a minute, that the dwelling place is the important thing that he's promising us. Now, Jesus says he's going to bring us to himself. Because being with Jesus is the number one most important thing in all of eternity. What makes heaven truly heaven? <laughs> Gates of pearl, bejeweled walls, streets of gold, the river of life. Meeting long-lost relatives who are in Christ who passed away before you? Is it the, the dwelling place God asked for you? Is that what makes heaven heaven? If any of those things are your primary focus as you think about heaven, you have completely missed the point. Not one of those things is what makes heaven truly heaven. What makes heaven heaven is this fact. Jesus is there. I'm going to borrow an illustration from John Piper, and I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. Imagine, imagine that you are a music lover. You love some music. And you get a ticket to a big-time concert. By the way, are any of you music lovers? Can you think of who you'd want to go see in concert? They'd be like, oh my gosh, if I could go to that show. Oh, <laughs> That would be it. That would be so cool. Don't name them because people around you will judge you. But <laughs> And depending on who you named, I would judge you. Uh, not because you shouldn't go to a concert, but if you just named bad music, I would judge you. Uh, you got a ticket to a big time concert. You're getting ready to go to the concert, man. How do you feel about your ticket as you're getting ready to go to that concert? <laughs> I love my ticket, man. Got the whole you might you might sing and dance like Willy Wonka or like the like the like Charlie and Willy Wonka right? Thinking, I got a golden ticket right? I mean it's good right? You've got your ticket. This is a good day. You probably tell people about the ticket you've got. But when you get into the concert, what does the ticket mean once you're inside? Pretty much nothing, 
unless you are one of those sentimental weirdo scrapbooky types. <laughs> Husbands, go ahead and nudge your wives if they're them. That's okay. What do you do with a ticket when the concert's happening, once you're in, once you're done? What do you do with it? You throw it away. It's just a piece of cardboard. Unless you're a weirdo, nerdy, scrapbooky person, you throw it out. Because the ticket is no longer important. It was the means you used to get into the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus cannot be a ticket to heaven for you. He's not the means you use to get something else that you want. If that's who Jesus is to you, you're really missing out on true joy. Now I'm going to tweak. This is where I rework Piper's illustration a little bit. See if it goes further. Imagine you want to go to this big concert, but you can't get a ticket. But in some random chance of events, you meet the performer on the street. And the performer says to you, oh, you want to go to my show? I'll get you in. Go to door number four. Be there at 7.30. And you approach the arena and you find the right door. And as you walk up to the door, the performer, the star of the show himself, comes to you at the door and personally walks you into the arena past the security guards and sits you down in the front row. The performer is not a ticket you throw away. Instead, the performer is the one you came to see. If he's not there, the show doesn't matter. The whole point of the show is that you get to find joy in being in the presence of the performer. This is a better picture of heaven. Jesus is not just the way you get into heaven. Jesus is also the thing that makes heaven truly heaven. If Jesus is not there, heaven would become hell. If Jesus is not there, there's no reason for gold or jewels or all the rest. If Jesus isn't there, heaven is empty and meaningless and worthless. But with the presence of the Lord Jesus, heaven offers you more than your heart could ever imagine. And if you have a heavy heart, one true way to overcome that heart is to set your mind on things above, as God commands in Colossians 3.2. Think about what makes heaven really heaven. Think about Jesus' promise to come and bring you to himself, easing all your burdens, drying all your tears, filling your heart with joy. Overcome a troubled heart by looking forward to meeting Jesus. Finally, the last point for this morning. Point number five. Overcome a troubled heart by remembering Jesus at Calvary. By remembering Jesus at Calvary. 
Verse 4, Jesus said, You know the way to where I'm going. Jesus tells the disciples that they know how to get where he's going. And in the verses to follow, he's going to make sure that they really do get the point that he, Jesus, is the way to get to heaven, to peace, to God himself. But how did Jesus make the way to heaven? How did Jesus go and prepare a place for us? The language Jesus uses does not indicate in any way that Jesus is here talking about a long-term construction project. Jesus is not trying to tell the disciples that he's going to have to spend the next couple thousand years building dwelling places. I mean, Jesus, I mean, he did have some carpentry skills, but that's not the point. In fact, Jesus lets you know the dwelling places are already there. They're ready for those who are going to live in the presence of God eternally. But for the place to be prepared for Jesus' followers, for it to be ready, what has to happen? How do we get the way to get there? The price has to be paid. Jesus went and prepared a place for his followers when he went to the cross. He paid the cost of our dwelling place when he shed his blood for our sins. And this point is the last thing I want you to ponder as you look for a way to overcome a troubled heart. Jesus calls his disciples not to be troubled in spirit. Jesus was facing the ultimate horror and he said, don't be troubled in spirit. He faced the wrath of God for the sins of man and he said, don't be troubled in spirit. Jesus had the cross in mind when he had this conversation with his followers. So looking to Jesus on the cross, that's a way that your heart, your troubles of your heart can be overcome. How? Think it through. You feel sad. And again, I'm not belittling that one little bit. Some of you have real pains. Some of you are sad and worried about petty things, but some of you have real pains. You feel miserable. You feel like your heart's broken. But before you throw yourself the ultimate number one pity party in the universe, take a look in your mind's eye at the form of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. He hangs there, naked before a scoffing world. He's bloody, he's bruised, he's swollen. He's barely recognizable. He's been mocked by everyone around him. Even worse, he is, for the only time in all of eternity, being counted by his Father as guilty of the sins of all those who would ever come to him. He is, in a sense, separated for the first time from his Father. Though he never did a single thing to deserve it. As you let the suffering and the pain of the Lord Jesus fill your mind, how much room do you have for self-pity? Do you really have room to continue to worry about what's troubling your heart? Do you really have the heart to look at Jesus in your mind's eye and then say, yeah, but I'm really suffering. 
Friends, a true glimpse of the Savior's suffering will do much to help us overcome our troubled hearts. Again, I'm not belittling our suffering. But when you see Jesus and you see what he went through for your soul, it changes your perspective. Again, I know many of us have reasons to be troubled. But God offers us real solutions to troubled hearts. He calls us to fight against our feelings. He calls us to replace unrighteous thoughts with righteous ones. Overcome a troubled heart by remembering Jesus' compassion. Overcome a troubled heart with faith in Jesus. Overcome a troubled heart by remembering your place in heaven. Overcome a troubled heart by looking forward to meeting Jesus. Overcome a troubled heart by remembering Jesus at Calvary. And if for some reason you're hearing this and you're saying to yourself that you don't have any idea what it is I'm talking about, if you think to yourself, I don't have the forgiveness of God in Jesus, I want to invite you this morning Come to know Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God and he came to this world and he lived a perfect life and then died on a cross as the sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could pay the price for our sins. There's no other way to get your sins paid for but Jesus. Jesus rose from the grave. He returned to life. Get this. He never died again. Never. Other people in the Bible came back from the dead, but not for long. Jesus never died again. Jesus physically went up into heaven where he is alive and he promises us he will come back to this earth one day. And the living Lord Jesus makes every one of us an offer. If you want to be forgiven of your sin, if you want to be made right with God, there are two parts to what has to take place. You have to repent of your sin. That means you turn away from trying to rule your own life. That means you turn away from trying to do things your own way. You turn away from thinking in your own way. And you surrender to God. You determine that you're no longer going to be your own master. But you will surrender all to Jesus. That you'll let Jesus be your king. That you'll let Jesus be your Lord. And you also believe. You also believe. You believe that you are a sinner without hope in your own power of ever getting to God. You can't make it on your own. You believe Jesus died and rose again to rescue you. And in that faith, you ask Jesus to please forgive you and rule over your life. Here's the good news. What Christians call the gospel... The good news is that every person who will turn from their sin and trust in Jesus will be saved. God makes that offer to all the world. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be forgiven. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you too will find ways in Jesus to overcome a troubled heart. Let's bow together and pray. Lord God, you know 
it is easy for our hearts to be troubled. You know that it's easy for us to focus on self. You know that it's easy for us to fall into sin. And what we need, Lord, what we deeply, desperately need, is for you to take care of us, comfort us, soothe our troubled hearts. We need you, Lord, to focus us on the gospel and to place our entire trust for our entire souls and our entire eternity completely in you. Whether we can understand what's going on in our lives or not. Lord God, please work in us. Show us your goodness. Show us your glory. Work in our lives to give us the comfort that you want your people to have. In Christ's name. Amen.